Hello and welcome to a special edition of the How I Got Here podcast focusing on mental health at work as part of Belfast Live and Electric Ireland's Power of Pause campaign. Today I'm going to be talking to Connor McCauley from Kaizen Print about his journey from the bedroom to the boardroom and how employee mental health has become central to his business success. I'll also be chatting to Denise Cranston of Business in the Community about the organisation's National Mental Health at Work Survey and getting the thoughts of Chewin's partner Patricia Rooney about the legal responsibilities for Northern Ireland businesses when it comes to mental health. First things first, how do I how do I how do I properly pronounce Kaizen Print, and where does the name originate from? So it, it's Kaizen, um, Kaizen, yeah, or as I used to call it, Kaizen, which is incredibly wrong. Um, <laughs> so it is definitely Kaizen, and it's Japanese, and it means continuous improvement. And that's actually it's credited to my fifth year business studies teacher, um, Mr. Higgins from Rathmore, that I chose the name because that was something we used to study at uh, GCSE level, and from that point onwards, uh, Kaizen has stuck it did at one point or was at one point my dj name uh, well that was a floundering career <laughs> being completely honest um so then it became kaizen print in 2009 your, your dj name that's that's quite a quite we'll a probably quite not a... talk about that <laughs> oh that's a shame <laughs> i want to know you know this is a career podcast this is about uh, how you got there but first of all give us an idea about how your typical day unfolds well, I'm a very much an early to bed, early to rise type of guy. So my days start between four and six a.m. Uh, it's not really set in stone what time I get up, but if I wake up at four, I'm up at four and I'll get up and, and do a bit of work, um, get a coffee in the morning, and, and sit and just catch up on some emails. I'm in the office every day from half seven. That's my typical starting point, and that's really to give me an hour or so prior to, to anybody else coming in, so that I can get caught up on emails overnight, and uh, then just get the day started for the day let's say my weekends are slightly different to get a lie until about quarter to seven um and that's not something i dictate i have a five-year-old daughter so that's when she gets up and that is the time that uh, we, we get up in the household at that point um most days well not during lockdown I, I would go to the gym so i'm quite a big fan of uh, going to the gym and strength training and whatnot and i would go to a gym co just up from our office um but even with that i would still make sure that i'm here for half seven in the morning um, the first day or the first hour of my day after that uh, is really looking after our team. It's supporting the sales team, the marketing functions, and then the administration team uh, with all their aspects of their job. So I kind of get a mixture throughout the day of elements that, are, that helps the business grow. Um, over the past six months, it's just mucking in wherever required. And I know we're going to speak about that somewhat, uh, but it really is just doing what the business requires at this point. So probably for the most part, business development has been put on hold in the past six months where it's just been sell and sell, sell uh, and get through every single day, every single week and try and hit targets that we set for ourselves. And there are arbitrary targets at this point because every month is just a new challenge. I try and leave the office at half five at latest every single day. That's probably one of the only things that, you know, I have a time, a deadline that I get home. I've, I try to spend as much time in the evenings with my daughter. She goes to bed early as well. I'm with my wife. So I'm trying to make sure I'm home for six every single night. And as I said, I'm in bed early. So it's, it's nine o'clock. I'm in bed with a book and, and reading usually personal development or business books, but more recently, a bit of fiction too. It's it's interesting what you say there about getting about that that early morning hour is is kind of it must be kind of precious to you just to get a bit of headspace in the office and get your day planned out. 
Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. You know, from half eight onwards, there's not a queue at my door, but there's Skype messages, there's phone calls, conversations with with our team members, and to try and get five minutes peace, essentially, or five minutes of time to, to develop or do the work that I need to do is very hard during the normal nine to five. So that R gives me that, as you said, that headspace to concentrate. And that's likely business development or tender work or things that need more concentration. But yet you're, you're not one of these kind of Margaret Thatcher types that only needs three hours sleep. You want to be in bed early so you get a full, a full, full night's rest. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love my sleep and, you know, I'll get eight or nine hours sleep every night. But, you know, what, what good happens or what's good on TV between nine and 11 or 11 and 12 p.m.? Very little. And, and even with, with the likes of Netflix it, and things like that, there's still not, there's nothing I want to watch more than I would like to have a sleep and get up early. No. We've, we've heard how a typical day unfolds, but, but take us back. This is called the How I Got Here program, podcast. So take us back to, to how your create, career journey began and how you have got to, to where you are today, which is uh, the, the MD of Kaiser Brit. And a phrase that I, I was determined to get in from the bedroom to the boardroom, which I believe leads us nicely into this story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the bedroom to the boardroom is very much our our, our last uh, nine years, um, the timeline of our last nine years. And, and Kaizen was uh, was born, let's say, in, in 2009 in the back bedroom of our home. My career has always been in marketing. Prior to that, I've always worked in marketing um, with um, different companies. And some of those are large companies, some of those are small family-run organizations. And back then, when I was in marketing, marketing was print. There was no digital, there was no social media. Uh, everything was in a printed format or a printed media. And I understood that because that's all I knew. Now we've had to learn and develop as our business has grown, um, but very much my background was was printed media. So Kaizen Print was born from that, uh, the 21st of September, 2009. And since then we have grown from being a, a local printer to a branding design agency, and also um, an, an Ireland of Ireland print company, a digital printing company. I'd always intended to start a business. And that's always been something, like as I said, I did business studies at GCSE, wow. economics as well, and then business studies as a degree. I've always been interested in business and I knew that it was something I wanted to do. So understanding marketing and then going into print, it just seems like a natural progression for us. Um, about a year into business, Martin, my brother, joined us and he's uh, still a partner and is a partner. And over the last 11 years, we've had very little by way of, of crosswords. Let's say, you know, I can't think of a, of a sentence that's been uttered in, in bad bad taste between us for the last 10 years anyway um, and it's been a really nice partnership throughout that period of time and we are a family business um, it's owned by Martin and myself and we're very proud that we are family orientated in that sense um, so Kaizen Print um, which was initially our business focuses on business stationery marketing materials sales materials for, for businesses but early into the process we very much understood the, the value of good design because you know what we print is is one thing but what is on that paper is completely different you know a, a good flyer can make the difference to a business a well-written and well-designed document can you know aid in sales whatever that might be so we've always valued design in our in our, our, our sphere of business so five years ago we decided and took the the very strategic decision i would like to think but it was just natural because we were already doing the work um, to set up kaizen brand evolution which is our branding and graphic design studio we as i said we've we've always had great designers i i, I believe that from the very first designer we hired right through we've had the leading designers in belfast or ireland 
but because we had the Kaizen Print name, we were often overlooked for you know tender work or bigger business. So five and a half years ago now, we set up Kaizen Brand Evolution and we hired uh, Ryan Stanfield and Lindsay Spence, who are really great designers and worked in the trade for many, many years. And we set up that side of our business. And with that, we were able to educate and re-educate our customers on the very much the different types of work that we do. So Kaizen Print is good quality, great value printing, whereas Kaizen Brand Evolution is a, a structured and measured strategic approach to graphic design and branding. So we help develop business through graphic design. Last month, we celebrated our 11th birthday. I'm incredibly proud of that as a business. We have now 30 staff or 30 team um, who all contribute massively to the support of our customer base and as we support our customers they support us so we're we're very very much proud that you know 11 years later we're, we're, we're doing okay it's a it's a really really interesting journey and i think that that addition of the branding side of the design side of the business you know just just shows how you're kind of thinking outside the box ever because if i think of a printing company uh, you know i don't think of a, 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 a company that can also do some branding for me so i mean that must have been uh, must have proved really successful for you yeah, we have won some amazing work off the back of segmenting our business and being able to effectively communicate to different customer bases, work that we would never have got. And that's, uh, I laughed at the start when you, when you mentioned about the bedroom to boardroom, because that's very much what our journey has been. You know, initially our work was printing for the hospitality trade, nightclub flyers, posters. Then we did some business stationery and then we did a lot more of the print remit. Um, we've brought all our materials in-house. We, we invested quite heavily in equipment. But that only gets you so far because uh, businesses assume that a print company is an working team. And that is, for the most part, that is traditionally what you know print companies do. However, we have a great studio and we always had a great studio. So bringing that forward and allowing that to shine on its own merits um, has done incredibly well. And we now work Island of Ireland. And, and just last week, we completed a project that was as far as Hong Kong for a whiskey brand. So you know our work is going right across the world now at this point. Yeah. What's it been like? I mean, if having worked for other companies and having worked for other agencies, what's it been like to be working for yourself? And, and how much, how much of a, I suppose, an incentive does it? Does it? Obviously, it's a big incentive because you get up four o'clock some morning. So, so it must be quite an incentive to you know to to be looking after your own P and L and looking after your own team. Yeah, it, it it is. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I always joke and say that I probably couldn't do it again because you have to love what you do. To get up at 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. to fight whatever challenge comes to you, to your door that day, but then you get the, the incredible highs when you win a new contract, when you win a tender, when you see your work out in the marketplace, and the, the effect of that having on other companies, on your customers' customer. And from that side of things, it, it's really rewarding. Um, we we have a good business. You know, we have a really good business in the sense that you know we affect the lives of many other business owners and we support many other business owners worldwide. And I I get more enjoyment out of that than anything, uh, seeing their businesses grow. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really interesting, and, uh, and we get it from a lot of people in this podcast. You know, when they're working for themselves, they really do do just feel so motivated and so so inspired. Um, Connor, we couldn't we couldn't talk about doing business in the current environment if we didn't touch on what it's been like over the last I believe I was speaking to somebody earlier on 31 weeks and without meaning to date this podcast uh, it's 30, 31 weeks uh, since we've kind of been in lockdown or working from home or, or, or in the corner of uh, coronavirus pandemic what's it been like running a business during that time yeah it's been horrible hasn't it um, firstly the unsurety of what's happening in the marketplace not really knowing where, um, not knowing the answers for the first time. 
And when you don't know the answers, but don't even know the questions to ask, that's incredibly hard. We have quite a large team. You know, there's 30 of our company at this particular moment, and they're all looking to you for the answers, answers you don't have. And that has probably been the hardest thing in this. It would be really un unjust of me not to talk about the downturn in, in turnover. You know, how hard that has been for any business, and we have not been unaffected by that. But what I do credit is our ability and willingness to to react very quickly to this. You know, we've just completed the leadership program with Invest in I there in November of last year, and we still had regular one-to-one -one meetings. We had um, peer group learning with the other leaders that were on that course, and that happened right through the pandemic. And there. Uh, their encouragement and their advice throughout the whole process has been really, uh, it has helped us to, to change and look at new opportunities that have happened in, in the last 31 weeks. Gosh, that's terrible. Um, so we've tried to be communicate effectively throughout this process. Um, that's probably been the, the, the hardest thing for us because as I said, we didn't have the answers and we didn't have the questions. But all we could do is be transparent to you know our customers as well, tell them what's happening in our business, and very much so with our team, because a large proportion of our team were furloughed for a good part of this process. You know, our I think um, I know exactly the figures, but approximately about sixty percent of our turnover stopped in April. Um, it dropped sixty percent, and you know that's crippling for any business. I would say that we are a particularly risk adverse business and safe business, you know, we've been very mindful in cash flow and PL over the last number of years. But even then, when you you're, the taps turned off overnight, it's very hard to see what 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 joy or what happiness could come from business in the, in the next period. We're here in October now, apologies for dating it again, but we're, we're here now very much at the what I would see as the new normal in business. And it's fine, it's okay, but we've been we've only been able to be okay and fine by really switching things up and becoming leaner and developing new opportunities during that period. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been an extraordinary time for, for everybody and particularly people running businesses and, and people working in business. What sort of an impact has that ha that had? And it's it's particularly relevant because we're, we are talking about mental health. But what sort of an impact has that had on the mental health of your team? Because the uncertainty is is a huge thing, and so difficult to get a good day's work done um, when you're you know you you just don't really know what's happening day from from day to day, and also the impact that it has on people that are on furlough as well, because you know th th there can be <laughs> there can be although it can be seen as you know you you don't have to go into work, but it is it does take a take a toll on people. How how have the team coped in uh, over the last few months? Yeah, that, that, you're absolutely right. I think the last number of months has exaggerated the entire issue of mental health in both those who are working and those who have been on furlough through literally no choice of their own um, for, the, for almost every instance. Um, but mental health isn't just about the COVID period. It has been massively important over the last number of years and it, it quite frankly has come to, to light or that's probably the wrong choice of words, but it's become more um, apparent in business over the last number of years, especially in our own business. Um, we, we had a short period of time there a few years back where over 20% of our team had identified with mental health problems. That could be anxiety or or um, any number of things. And it would be wrong of me to, to talk about any of those individual um, individual cases as such, because those people have entrusted me with that information. But I'm so proud that I was able to support them during that period. and. This whole period of COVID has really been another period of time where we've been able to support our team. And the big thing for me has been communication um, and, and making sure that our team know 
what we are doing. We'll know what to expect of them. Even around this whole period of uncertainty and uncertainty, if we can tell them you know, our plans and focus to get through this, hopefully that gives them some confidence in us as, as leaders of business. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I want to know how you go about, I mean, you talk about communicating, but how, how do you go about tackling those those issues? And, and by, by knowing, I would imagine, by knowing that 20% figure exists, you've obviously already started by trying to trying to communicate to them and trying to get them to communicate back to you how they're feeling. So, so you've already made a start there, but how do you go on? With, you know, How do you carry on dealing with those problems? We have um, quite a robust plan, actually, for this. So every Wednesday in Kaizen, there is what we call or have termed the Wellbeing Wednesday. Um, and the Wellbeing Wednesday surrounds a, a, an array of topics that may cause um, discomfort or anxiety or any number of you know mental health issues. And that could be just health and fitness. For example, we've had gyms come in and explain the process of getting you know physically fit as well as mentally fit. We also have had occupational health um, people in and explaining you know, about how to promote positive mental health and talking about those processes and, and practices that they can put in place to just get a bit of um, of their own personal space back or mental or you know, head space, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, one of the other uh, Wellbeing Wednesdays was about personal finance, and that was one that I took myself. I have a, a bit of a background or a, a will to learn of personal finance, and budgeting is one of those things that you know isn't taught in schools. And money issues are one of those huge factors, especially in this COVID period where we're not sure if we have a job tomorrow or we're seeing redundancies everywhere. So allowing and helping the team to understand budgeting further has it just alleviates somewhat and I can't alleviate everything we, we don't we're not trying to you know to answer every question but really just show support we um, communicate with our team regularly and I, I'm very mindful we don't have doors in our offices and um, which is maybe why you can hear some background noise but you know our door is actually always open because we do want people to communicate and I uh, again I'm very proud that our team where they have and wanted to have communicated with me to explain that they, you know that everything's not just okay uh, we also have some, you know, businessy things. You know, there's um, cash plans and things with Westfield that you know allows the team to spend without any cost to them a certain value with different services. And those services are not limited to, you know, just traditional doctors. They could be physiotherapy. You know, it could be seeing somebody, anything around that. So we we do put that aside as well, and that just gives the team, you know, it removes the requirement of cost or removes the, the, the cost involved in seeing somebody where they might need to. And that doesn't have to be mental health, that could be physical health or anything. Yeah, that's a, it's a really proactive approach, which must have, you know, it must have boded well for you over the last few months that you already had something in place to, to, to deal with any issues that cropped up. Yeah, having a plan, everything can go awry around you, but having a plan is something you can always go back to. And that's one of the things that we are very, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, just a plan that we can return to when we need to. And is that is that what you would say if you were speaking to kind of other business leaders that, you know, just set set a plan in place and, and, and communicate seem to be the two things that I'm, I'm sort of getting from you about how we deal with um, mental well-being in the workplace? Well, well, firstly, I'm happy to speak to anybody. <laughs> so if any of the leaders out there want to have a chat about this, I, like we, we're, many of us are business leaders, have not been trained in business management. We're not trained professionals when it comes to mental health. And that's the one thing that none of us really know. You know we don't know what's happening in some, inside somebody else's head. But if we can be empathetic and understanding and willing to learn and willing to, to help then it makes the world of difference as, as a business leader. So not knowing 
what you don't know and that is one of those things you know is just asking the questions well what should i look for what should what does help what has helped elsewhere and then trying to find solutions for that so you have a plan and then trying to work back to that at every time and and this is maybe just a, a more kind of personal question but as a leader yourself that the, the the sort of mental health that you need to look after uh, aside from your workforce is your own you know it's yeah. been such a turbulent time and such a worrying time recently that you know how, how do you go about making sure that your own mental health um, stays strong that's incredibly important really important you know if you have 30 people or 40 people or 50 people telling you their problems those problems have become your problems and they weigh on you and while you have to segment work and, and, and your own life you know trying to have a positive own, own mental attitude you know looking after your own health and fitness and diet getting a good night's sleep you know, learning as well all those things do allow you to to try and support the other team members that are there and where you need to get help yourself you know get help to support your team members get help to support yourself and do that do all the things that you're trying to instill in everybody else yourself because if you can't do that well then it becomes a much harder uh, much harder it's a task overall um yeah some really interesting insight there connor um so thanks for thanks for sharing with it i suppose just one last question how have you enjoyed, you've, you've taken us through that kind of career journey and how you deal with issues like mental health. How have you enjoyed the journey? How have you enjoyed that kind of roller coaster that you've been on? Well, I, I still love what I do every day. And I, I love the business that we're in. Um, we have a very nice business um, where we do help other people support their business and achieve their own goals and achieve the goals of their business. So from that, you know, this journey is changing every day. We learn every day and we adapt every day. So the challenge for me is is to keep that positivity and the help that our, our clients move forward. But I, I love it. You know, I, I can see me doing this for a very long time because coming to work every day isn't work in that sense. Now, it's very hard. Could I do it again? Probably not from scratch, no. But I love where we are today and I, you know, I'll continue to do that as long as I can. Connor McCauley from Kaizen Print there. Speaking with Connor made me curious to find out how other Northern Ireland businesses are experiencing and dealing with employee mental health. Denise Cranston from Business in the Community. I am head of workplace programmes for Business in the Community. Uh, and what does that actually mean? It means we work with employers on the whole workplace wellbeing and inclusion agenda. Um, so we support employers to take a very strategic approach to employee health and well-being, uh, which includes, of course, employees' mental health and well-being. Mental health, ill health has become more prevalent, particularly in the workplace, David, over the last number of years. And even, you know, pre-COVID, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about the impact of COVID, but, you know, according to the Mental Health Foundation, even before COVID, Mental health issues are the number one cause of sickness absence in the UK and around half of all long-term sick leave is due to stress, depression and anxiety. And I guess very worryingly, you know, over 90% of employees who call in sick with stress, for example, give a different reason. So, you know, there's, there's kind of this stigma associated with admitting that you have some sort of mental ill health or mental illness. And what that equates to is a staggering 70 million workdays lost each year 
due to mental health problems in the UK, costing approximately costing employers £2.4 billion per year. So that's just, you know, crazy figures. And I suppose if you boil it down, it's estimated, it used to be estimated it was one in six people suffering from a common mental health problem. That figure actually now is higher. It's it's now one in four uh, and possibly even getting higher than that due to the impacts of, of COVID. Wow, that's that's quite just quite really statistics there that really are quite stark and, and, and lay bare just the, 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 the issues that mental health um, issues have in the workplace. How are companies going about reacting to this? How are they going about trying to improve mental health in the workplace? And, and is there any... Is there any um, disconnect between what Northern Ireland companies are doing and the rest of the UK? Um, so glad to say that employers recognise, obviously, that employee well-being is an important business concern and a business issue. It's not just a nice to do thing anymore um, because of some of the statistics that um, I, I've just given to you. So what kind of, of things employers are doing? I guess an essential building block for workplace mental health is the ability to have open and authentic conversations about mental health in the workplace, both individually, but also at a strategic level. So it's important that, you know, well-being mental health is a boardroom issue and discussed and taken seriously at that level. And this is more important now than ever as we recover, uh, hopefully recover from the impact of the pandemic. Um, so in terms of, you know, what employers are doing and what we would certainly advocate employers are doing is to ensure that senior leaders, decision makers are aware of the importance of mental health and well-being in the workplace. Um, we also see a lot of employers training line managers and team leaders to manage people and to do that with confidence and with the right skills because line managers are key to employee well-being and often they're the first person and the first point of contact if an employee has a mental health problem or is struggling in the workplace. So as well as training and skilling up uh, and helping line managers. It's also about training all levels of employees in mental health awareness and resilience um, and ensuring that people take responsibility for their own mental health and also understand the importance of self-care and helping others in the workplace. And, and that's really key is, is that people look after themselves as well and I suppose as well are, are willing to put their hand up and say, I'm struggling here and I need a little bit of help. Absolutely. Um, and interestingly, I mean, every for the past five years, um, business in the community has conducted a national mental health at work survey. Um, and we we did so in 2020, right slap bang in the middle of um, the pandemic. And the, the findings are just out at the beginning of October. So maybe if I could just share a summary of some of the key findings, um, just to give an indication of where people are at the moment, a bit of a snapshot, people's mental health. So this survey was conducted across the, with UK workers, just over 3,600 
took part. 41% of employees said they have experienced mental health symptoms caused or worsened by work this year. And 51% of the poor mental health caused by work this year is due to work pressure. So that's about people having to work longer hours, people having an increased workload. Um, We also know and we've seen that lots of people are now working from home. Um, And whilst there is evidence to show that working from home has shown increased productivity, unfortunately, alongside that, we're also seeing that people's mental health is declining. So there, whilst on one hand, working from home can be quite positive. On the other hand, employers just need to be careful and keep an eye on work pressure, workloads, and certainly how that's all impacting on people's mental health. There's some good news. It wasn't all bad news, I'm glad to say, in this particular survey. So 76% of employees said that their colleagues are very considerate of their mental well-being. And a further 69% said the same of their managers, which is actually an improvement even from 2019. But again, another um, finding is that employees are increasingly telling no one about their mental health issues. And probably no big surprise, men are more likely to keep work-related mental health problems to themselves. So again, that's not good. And that's another challenge um, to employers. Um, And I guess it's about employers looking at creating opportunities, workplaces, cultures that are open where people feel able to come forward and talk about their mental health issues. Because unless they do, they're just going to get worse. Whilst employees said they felt supported to some degree by colleagues and managers, surprisingly, they said they don't always feel supported by their HR departments. Uh, and I think that was, you know, a bit of a, a surprising finding, given that HR people are usually the ones who are the custodians for an organization's well-being policies. Um, people also said they felt that the people at the top, the chief executives, the directors, again, weren't always, they didn't feel, um, you know, interested in or taking seriously people's mental health issues. So again, that comes down to a culture of those at the top being slightly removed from the realities of what's going on in the organisation. Um, and at times, a manager said that they had to put the interests of the organization above the well-being of their colleagues. So there's lots of issues that have arisen um, from this particular survey. Um, and as a result, uh, there are a number of things that we, you know, business in the community, we feel that employers can do. Um, to address some of those issues. Presumably that the, the working from home side of things, it, it increases that kind of disconnect between leaders and, and, and people on the, the shop floor, as it, as it were, um, and, and also increases the pressures on, on, on mental health, um, given people aren't with their colleagues who they can share their, their worries with and, uh, and everything else. Well, that's absolutely right. And people are communicating in a very different way. David, we're all online. We're on Zoom. We're on Teams. We're on Google Meet. 
Um, and it's a very different way of connecting. You can't always, um, you know, you can't read people's body language. Um, it's different than the face-to-face uh, connection that you get in a workplace setting. Um, so, I, you know, it's understandable that, you know, people are not going to open up necessarily on screen to their managers, um, possibly not even to other colleagues. So the, the long-term impact of this uh, will still have to be seen. Um, and I guess, um, you know, employers will have to take into account um, the impact that, you know, lack of socialization, lack of being able to meet up with colleagues is going to have and is already having on their employees. And certainly some of the things that we would, would ask employers to do is to elevate mental health and safety on a par with the work that they do around physical health and safety. Um, and there's there's a number of ways they can do that. So, for example, um, na- there's a national mental health at work framework um, and it sets out uh, a number of standards and actions that employers can take really to elevate mental health and manage this properly. There's also a Northern Ireland mental health charter that sits with the Equality Commission. And again, there's lots of real, really useful advice and actions that employers can take. Um, a second thing that I would be calling on employers to do is redesign jobs that promote long-term mental health. And that's about building on the new ways of working since COVID-19 recognizing you know that people are working from home they are working longer hours they are online much more um so it's about redesigning those jobs and avoiding employee burnout so recognizing the pressure that people are under looking at the workloads which are the biggest drivers of work-related poor mental health at the moment and I think as well, it's important for employers not to shy away from some of the challenging issues that are impacting on people's health and well-being at the minute. So updating policies on things like domestic abuse. Um, so we've seen a massive, I think it was something like a 70% increase in calls to domestic abuse um, helplines during COVID. Um, we also know there's an increase in use of drugs and alcohol. Um there's been an increase in suicide, increase in bereavement. So these are all challenging issues that, you know, employees, your employees as employers, um, some of them will be dealing with as well as many other things. So what we would say is that employers need to have, if you don't already have a policy on some of these issues, you definitely should be looking at it. And if you do have policies maybe review and make sure they're updated in line with some of the issues now coming to the fore through COVID. Have you noticed a, a willingness amongst employers, an increased willingness amongst employers over the last couple of years and indeed since the uh, lockdown to, to really address the mental health issue? Absolutely. Um, and we, we're actually uh, have quite a lot of requests from employers at the moment to really help them and work with them around the mental health agenda. So to give you an example, um, I'll not name the organisation, but it's a big, big company uh, in Northern Ireland. We're about to do 
mental health training for 100 of their line managers, put them through that. And that's really skilling them up to recognise the first signs and symptoms of poor mental health in their employees. And very importantly, to help them have those what can be difficult conversations if they do suspect that somebody is starting to become mentally ill and mentally unwell. And then very importantly, to help line managers know what advice or support they can give, recognising line managers are not mental health experts, um, but they need to know how to signpost and how to support. So we've seen a big increase in requests from our members and from employers here in Northern Ireland, particularly working with line managers. We've also seen um, quite a lot of uh, members at the moment are identifying what they're calling well-being champions in their own organisations. Um, and these are people who have um, have taken on the role of, you know, looking to see what employees are looking for, what support and help they need. So there's lots of brilliant webinars being produced. Um, and that can be anything from supporting staff with financial uh, help because we know that finance is one of the big concerns for people at this moment in time. So lots of employers are focusing on supporting staff with, you know, how to manage their money better. Um, through to physical health, we've seen lots of employers, you know, involving staff in challenges, physical challenges. So there's a lot of work going on at the moment, a lot of really good practice happening in organisations, even producing wellbeing apps for employees where they can go really to find out information at anything. Um, and of course, lots of employee assistance programmes, um, lots of counselling services that employers are making available to their employees. So even before COVID, David, to be honest, you know, we, we can see that uh, wellbeing is definitely uh, a key focus for many employers in Northern Ireland. And I think COVID has heightened the importance of mental well, mental health and well-being for them. Um, and in fact, just this week, we're running our Healthy Work and Lives conference um, and we have 100 delegates coming to that. So um, there's definitely uh, more interest now than ever and more employers now taking a much more strategic approach to this. With more interest than ever and more employers implementing strategies on mental health, I wanted to better understand the legal responsibilities of Northern Ireland businesses in this regard. Patricia Rooney from Tunes. Well, I think the starting point is to remember that a mental health condition, it might be a disability under the Disability Discrimination Act. Um, that's a 1995 Act, so we've had it now for 25 years. So there's a lot of guidance, a lot of case law, um, which should assist employers in helping them identify exactly what it is. Um, now, that is also particular to Northern Ireland. Um, the legislation in GB is different, so it's important also to remember that. There's also a disability code of practice from the Equality Commission, which is very helpful, but essentially what the Act says in relation to those that suffer from mental health issues is that that person should not be treated less favourably on the grounds of a disability. 
And the connection here is that a disability can be a physical or a mental impairment, um, so which has a substantial adverse impact on that employee, that person's ability to carry out day-to-day -day activities. So when you look at it like that, it is easy for an employer to forget that a person or an employee who presents with mental health concerns might actually be disabled under the Act and have specific um, protection under that. So the daily activities that might um, be looked at are mobility, memory, the ability to concentrate, normal social interaction, and all of these things you would expect in a full working relationship. So once a person raises a mental health issue, the employer should be thinking, is that a disability? And am I required then under the legislation to look at specific requirements? One of those requirements, and again, a statutory obligation, is that the employer should make reasonable adjustments for that employee. So you've said, what are they expected to accommodate? So the adjustments might be things like, you know, uh, shifting the person's place of work, reducing their hours, allocating some of their work, maybe maybe on a short-term basis, providing monitoring, sorry, mentoring, um, providing additional training, things like that, which really go to the, you know, the nub of a full working relationship. And if an employer thinks, well, you know, I can't afford to do all of those things, cost is not enough to say, I can't do that. And you should be considering other opportunities and external organisations that might be able to help the employer. Presumably then employers also need to be, need to be monitoring employees and just making sure, um, checking in on them all the time to make sure that they are okay and to, and to make sure that they have a good feel to how their mental health is. Absolutely. You know, I've talked there about when a mental health condition might become an impairment. So it's so severe that it, um, you know, reach, reaches the definition of a disability. Employers shouldn't be waiting for that to happen. They should have full communication with their staff. They should have training for everybody. Um, they should look to external organisations which assist if an employee presents with mental health issues that fall short of you know, what I'm talking about as a, a mental health disability. It's not enough to simply wait um, to see whether that employee's mental health constitutes a disability. They should be ensuring that they have adequate communication, adequate mentoring, adequate training, and indeed providing safe place of work for that employee. From a legal perspective, are there anything, any other things that businesses should be aware about when, when they're dealing with, with these type of issues around employee mental health? Well, as I've said, there's a statutory obligation to make sure that you don't treat that person less favourably if the mental health issue constitutes a disability and also to consider what adjustments you should put in place to facilitate that employee in the workforce. But there's also, you know, as I've said, the um, requirement to ensure that it is a safe system of work for the employee. If you have someone coming who says that particularly concentrating on their employment environment is causing them stress and anxiety, you should really deal with that. And the reason that you should deal with that is, of course, to ensure that the employee's health does not deteriorate, but also that if you fail to do so, having the matter being brought to your attention and, unfortunately, the employee's mental health does deteriorate, 
you would be liable for that in certain circumstances. Now, they're all terribly fact-specific, but if the employee, unfortunately, health deteriorates because the employer has failed to do something in the workplace, the employer might be held liable if the employee's condition deteriorates to such an extent that they're actually unable to work. The huge statutory obligations and financial implications, either because of the stress and anxiety which stops the employee working, or from the employee's failure to put in adequate adjustments to allow the employee to continue to work. Okay, okay you, those adjustments, some, some cases we've come across, those adjustments might be moving the employee's place of work. We have had someone who expressed concerns about stress and anxiety from a working relationship with their line manager. And what you would expect an employer to do is to make sure that's properly investigated and perhaps send the employee for external assessment, maybe for occupational health input. And in that particular case, the occupational health physician was of the view that that stress and anxiety and the mental health issues that the employee was experiencing could be helped if that person was no longer the employee's line manager. So there was, the organisation was big enough to accommodate that employee at a different site, um, even for a short-term basis. We've had examples where perhaps one of the adjustments might be that the individual with the mental health concerns has been absent due to that mental health condition and normally absence would trigger under a, an absence policy lots of organizations have policies whereby if you have so many absences or long-term absence you could possibly trigger a disciplinary sanction in a case we had the employer had to consider whether they relaxed that absence policy because the person's absence was not, you know, Mondiitis as sometimes we would call it. I can't come in. It was genuine, you know, mental concerns. Um, and whether or not they relaxed the application of that policy to ensure that the person with the mental health issues isn't being subject to discipline when the absence is related to that mental health issue. We've had other ones, perhaps like perhaps one is, is quite extreme, where an individual had raised a grievance about treatment within the workplace, but then the actual process that the employee was involved in became stressful for that employee and led to mental health issues. Um, and again, you know, sending for occupational health assessment, looking to contact the employees, medical and um, practitioners themselves for input and guidance all had to be carried out. But unfortunately, in that particular case, the evidence suggested that unless a particular full department within the organisation had been was to be dismissed, the employee could not return. The employee's mental health issues were around this particular department. And it's back to what is reasonable in the circumstances. That was not a reasonable solution for this particular employer, despite the level of anxiety on behalf of the employee. So the matter was resolved in a, in a different way. So there are various opportunities for an employer to look and to consider what is reasonable for them and the circumstances. And it's what's reasonable for that particular organisation. But communication with the employee 
him or herself is is key. Yeah, interesting. Um, I suppose looking ahead, are there any kind of forthcoming changes to employment law that, that maybe employees, uh, employers need to be conscious of uh, in the future? There are no obvious um, legislation or legislative changes coming about particularly mental health within the, the workplace. Um, I think there is an increasing awareness now about inclusion and diversity and inclusion within the workplace. Uh, lots of organisations should be having their you know, mental wellbeing policy, their training, their mentoring, and making use of external sources, you know, um, uh, Disability Action, Inspire, Aware, NI, all of those organisations are available. But as for changes, not at the minute, um, and it's also important, as I said, to remember that employment law is a matter for the Northern Irish Assembly. It will not come from uh, the UK. Um, but you should be looking at various case law and decisions from the tribunal and the courts, which will interpret how employers' obligations generally, how they are to be implied within the workplace. And that, those kind of decisions might provide some guidance for us. One of the important things to remember whilst we're talking about communication, we're talking about communication directly with the employee and asking that employee how they want the matter to be dealt with, whether they want to nominate someone to speak on their behalf. It is not communication to the entire workforce. You might think about a you know a mentor or a buddy or something like that, something someone like that for the individual. But there are clear confidentiality issues. We are talking about very sensitive personal information. So employers, of course, should remember those lovely um, GDPR regulations and obligations that they have in ensuring that they treat this information extremely confidential. Trisha Rooney from Tunes. Thanks to all our contributors today. And for more information, please check out the Power of Pause Hub on Belfast Live for links to things we talked about and for practical information to help with your own mental health. Quick update on Kaizen. Since recording, Kaizen Print was acquired by Northwest News Group, so it looks like Connor's journey continues. Thanks for listening today, and hopefully we'll see you again very soon.